0: The Whiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque,
1: especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. All right, everybody. Welcome on back to Baseball History 101. As always, I am joined by my esteemed colleague, former intern at the Baseball Hall of Fame, Matthew Carter. Hello. And I know um, the topic today, he is looking very much forward to making our trip to New York to at least lay eyes on these guys. I know he's kind of not allowed to rub elbows, but we're going to talk about the newest inductees to the Hall of Fame. Well, not inductees yet, but future inductees to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. We got uh Fred the Crime Grog McGriff and then Scott Rowland, which as a Cardinals guy, I know I'm wearing a Braves hat, but as a Cardinals guy. Grew up watching oh, yeah. him, man. Him at third base, Edmonds in center, Pujols at first, Molina behind the plate, man. It was great. Um, and I guess we just need to get going on uh McGruff the Crime Dog, you know?
2: Yeah. All right. Do you want to start or should I start?
1: Hey, you got it, Matt. I'll let you start off on him. So
2: Fred McGriff was born on Halloween, October 31st, 1963, in Tampa, Florida. And his mom was a school teacher and his dad was an electronics repairman. And you know, growing up in Tampa, you know, there's spring training every year. You know, you're in Prime, you're in spring training land down in Tampa. And back in when he was growing up, the Cincinnati Reds spring trained in Tampa at Al Lopez Field. He'll, yeah, Al Lopez Field. And so he would go, you know, obviously he would tend games as a child. And he also worked as a vendor at Tampa Stadium, which is the, the old football stadium where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played. So, and they were both, both Al Lopez and Tampa Stadium were like right next to each other. So it's like, you got spring training, as well as the minor league Tampa Tarpons during that time, and you got NFL Buccaneers. I mean, like, Fred McGriff was just living the dream in Tampa. Sports guy. He's a sports guy. You know, I mean, like, you're growing up around sports. Tampa is a sports town, especially with spring training and the Bucks. you know.
1: Oh, yeah, like, Tampa, um, I remember going on vacation down there to, um, what is it, where Fort Myers, that's big. Mm-hmm. I think the twins and another and the red Sox have training there,
2: yeah. Twins and red Sox spring training in Fort Myers. Um, you know, and of course, um, you know, Tampa is also near Clearwater where the Philly spring train and Dunedin where the Blue Jays spring train. I mean, you know, I mean, just the west coast as well as the east coast of Florida, are just pr-
1: prime spring training sites. Used nice to have spring. Dodger Town down there in that in near Vero, that area. Vero, yeah, Vero Beach. It was yeah, wasn't too far from there, was it? Yeah, it uh, it's no, well. Actually, it was on the east coast. It was on. The oh, North okay. I was thinking. Okay, I was, I had that backwards.
2: Yeah, but like you know, Tampa. You know, that's close to Bradenton and uh, Dunedin and Clearwater right. and Fort Myers and all these places. Fort
1: Myers is about an hour south of there. Yeah, or so a couple out, hour, two hours south there. So Sarasota, you know,
2: but you know, and honestly, you know, there's even though Florida is known for their spring training and baseball history in that sense, you know, altogether compared to other states, um, Florida, you know, doesn't really have – well, now they have a lot. Like they have like 600 in in total on baseball reference, like only 696 players from Florida have played Major League Baseball. And there's not a lot of Hall of Famers – from Florida, like there were native born Floridians in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, <laughs> McGriff is like one of like less than ten Hall of Fame members from Florida, you know, which is that's impressive in itself.
1: So do, we, 19- do we know a number of how many ball players there are? Because there's only you know, twenty-eight per team, not counting expansions. Do we um, know how many pro ball players there ever have been? Do we have a number on that?
2: I know Baseball Reference does. It's over twenty thousand. Okay, here we go. Two thousand twenty-two thousand eight hundred sixty uh, players have made it to the major leagues since the eighteen seventies. You know, and they
1: only have 20, how many? A hundred. And... Florida had like six
2: hundred ninety six. You know, and out of six hundred ninety six, I think like less than ten, maybe less than five, are Hall of Famers from florida native floridians okay so you know mcgriff is in a class in a very select few of floridian native floridians to be in the hall of fame you know
1: that's weird because when i was playing junior college ball if uh, you won florida you went straight to the world series and if you won alabama you went straight to the world series And then Georgia and Tennessee, they had their own bracket. You went straight to the World Series. Then everybody and Texas had a bid, and everybody else kind of was sectioned off. So that's kind of. It seemed like there'd be a lot more guys out of Florida.
2: Yeah, I mean, you think you would, and especially since you know Major League Baseball on and off has spring trained down there since 1888. You know, but um, yeah, but only like 696 guys. Uh, only 696 former and current major leaguers are Flir- are native Floridians, and McGriff's one of them. So that's
1: pretty cool. Yeah, that seems like that'd be a bigger number.
2: You think? Well, maybe in time they'll probably get to like a thousand. You know, like California or something. Yeah. But you know, is is major league baseball still a thing? They'll probably get to a thousand players.
1: Well, and you got schools like IMG Academy and stuff like that down there too that are going to breed these guys also.
2: Yeah. And great college teams like University of Florida, Florida State,
1: Miami is usually pretty good at baseball. Um,
2: yeah, Miami's got multiple national championships in like Division Two. Florida Southern's pretty good at baseball. I mean, you know, it's a it's a baseball heavy
1: state in Florida. Yeah, I, I, that number that's just kind of surprisingly low to me. Yeah, no,
2: but anyway, so he grew up, born and raised Tampa. Um, he went out to. In high school he went out for the baseball team at Jefferson High School in Tampa as a sophomore but he was cut. But he made the team the following year after undergoing a growth spurt. Sometimes the growth spurt is all you need. I can relate. Yeah. That's I why mean, I
1: didn't play for Mosley at Grissom and the next year he was playing split in but, time with JV and varsity at Lee.
2: Yeah, you know, and um and you know, kind of like Mike. I mean, maybe not really similar, but Michael Jordan got cut from this basketball yeah. team. You know, but and
1: he's and he's arguably the goat, which we're not going to start that argument up. But
2: right, and this is a, this is not a basketball podcast. But you know, I mean, just it's kind of similar to Michael Jordan's um, high school sports career. You know, they both got cut, but they both made the team again eventually. You know,
1: I had a conversation and, with somebody yesterday. It was. About how kids these days don't understand that just because you get cut doesn't mean you don't have a future. Just because you have a bad game doesn't mean you're a loser. Like, the things you do off the side to make yourself better, those are good things in your career or even in your life to make you a better person and give you that extra fire to get to points like McGriff or Jordan for getting cut. Right. Two guys that got cut from their high school teams, and they're Hall of Famers now.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's just motivation for you to hey, you know, do better. You know, like prepare yourself better to make the team again the next year. Or Mm -hmm. you know,
1: you know, it's just motivation. What do I need to work on? Let me get better. I'm missing something somewhere. Let's figure it out.
2: Yeah, and like you know, if any you know middle school or high school uh, players are listening to our podcast, you know, use that as like motivation. It's like hey, if you get cut or don't make the team. You know, ask the you know try to have a talk with one of the coaches who cuts you. And say, hey, you know, what can I work on to try to make the team next year? Instead of just like giving up and transferring to another school. No, no offense, Patrick, but like
1: no, that's exactly why I transferred because I asked that exact question, and I was mm-hmm. told I would never play for Grissom.
2: And so you said, and oh, that's well,
1: exactly why I transferred. So yeah. you, but but th- that's a rare circumstance,
2: right? But you know, I'm sure there's some coaches. I'm sure some coaches can, you know, if they give you the time of day, they will – they can point out some things that yeah. you can work on to make the team next year, you know.
1: Yeah, your fastball soft. Your cutter doesn't have enough run. We don't like your footwork on this ground ball. Like mm-hmm. – at the same time, um, we were talking about this today also with somebody I was talking to. A lot of kids these days – a lot of kids these days take a loss in a game. At like 12, 13 years old, like I said, in the, the world, that game doesn't even matter at that age. No. It's all about those reps and practice is what makes you good. The game's the fun part. The game is the fun part. But yeah. practice is where you get better. And
2: yeah, that's, something practice, else
1: for, that's something else for anybody young listening to this. Yeah,
2: practice is the work, but the game's the fun thing.
1: The game's yeah. the fun thing. Yeah. That's where the practice pays off. Yeah. Everybody wants to win every game. I'm a sore damn loser. And I'll be the first to admit it.
2: You know, and I know lots of players can complain about practices, you know. But, hey, you know the long run, it will help you if you stay with it.
1: You know? that, if you're a practice superstar, it will eventually pay off in the damn games. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: And so he made the team next year, his junior year. He was a high school teammate of Al Pardo. Who, or maybe it's Pardew, <laughs> who? but he also, but Al Pardo, who was also a major league player, and he played from like 85 to 89 for the Phillies and the Orioles. And so, you know, so that team, that Jefferson High School team had two future major league players. So, you know, that's that's not something you can easily say. Not every high school team is going to have one, multiple, or even at least one major league for future major league on the team, you know. You'd be lucky to have anybody to make the minor leagues.
1: <laughs> no, I was at Lee when um, Craig and Buddy were there. Yep. Uh, my first year I transferred in, that was their senior year. And I um, – one of the few that had two future major leaguers on it.
2: And both their numbers are retired at
1: Lee. That was Coach Weaver's requirement. Coach Weaver's requirement is I will never retire a number unless you, I can watch you on television on Fox. Mm-hmm. And you're playing Saturday afternoon baseball. That's when I will retire your number.
2: And that's what they both did. Now they're both numbers are retired. Nobody else in the league can wear them.
1: So. Also, anybody in Huntsville that needs um, lessons for their kids to play ball, um, Buddy Bo Shears is doing that. That's awesome.
2: But anyway, so he's on the Je- – going back to McGriff, he's on the Jefferson
1: High School team. I got and- a special appearance by my dog back here, I think.
2: Oh Lebowski. What's up, Lebowski? Come here, dude. He wants to be a part of the
1: podcast. Come here. Come hang on me. All right. I thought I'll keep you from barking. I'll give you some belly rubs.
2: <laughs> he loves those belly rubs. And so, he loves
1: to jump on Uncle Matthew. <laughs>
2: That's true. That is very true. Yeah. And um, you know, so he so McGriff attracted he first attracted the attention of professional ball clubs after hitting a long home run off of um, Hillsborough high school's Dwight Gooden with scouts in attendance to watch Gooden pitch.
1: Nobody's ever heard that name.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And Hillsborough high. was also in Tampa. I mean, they got, you know, they've had, you know, some good players too, as well as Gooden. So, I mean, you know, and they've, Hillsborough's teams won like multiple state championships in Florida, so I mean this is not, uh, you know, this is not something, you know, this is this is a team that you know is not to be taken lightly. It's not some like you know podunk team. This is the Griff hit one off a great pitcher, as well as a you know against a great team, a great high school team in Florida.
1: So and so when I was living in Montgomery, I was playing baseball. In the cable league, C A B L, and um, guy that was on my team, guy named Darian Pedro. He played at uh, Alabama State. Mm-hmm. His uncle is Dwight Gooden. Oh, and, 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 and this league I was playing in, I was like one of three or four white dudes in it. <laughs> and anybody legal vouch this, uh, my jersey number was one. They called me one pound on the west side of Montgomery. I got an alias on the west side of Montgomery, <laughs> but his his. And it was so fun, man! It was like a sandlot ball. It's these little family farms with these little ball fields built on them, mm-hmm. and way to go play. And down the line, you got all the old men smoking pot. You pitch a good inning, you got an old man offering you moonshine coming off the mound. It was it was wild, dude. Like I had a buddy yeah. of mine that's on the radio down in Montgomery, um. And they did like a thing on it one day, and I, I called in on it, and it's wild. But his grant, his uncle was Dwight Gooden. That's kind of it was a really cool thing. I wish a lot more people would be able to experience it because it's two white dudes. Like we grew up playing low league park at damn Patriot and McGuckin, and but that was a different side of baseball. That was so much fun. Like these communities coming together, and like, people gambling in the stands, just a party scene. Like, that's the place to be after church on Sundays was for the Cable League.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's that's what baseball was in that's, towns back in the turn of the sort of, of uh, century.
1: Turn it was century. awesome to be a part of it, man. Yeah. I, I can imagine.
2: I can imagine how awesome that would be, you know. And so, you know, McGriff's just getting attention, and he actually gets – Believe it or not, he gets a, a scholarship to play college baseball from the University of Georgia, and he accepted it. But, you know, at the same time, he got – in 1981, he got drafted in the ninth round of the amateur draft by the New York Yankees, and he chose the Yankees. He chose baseball in the uh, – professional baseball and the Yankees over college baseball in Georgia, which honestly, as the way his career turned out, that was a good choice. <laughs> For sure. You know, and you can always, you know, you don't have to go to college right when you're 18. If you want to, you can always go back later when you have more money to afford it, you know?
1: <laughs> um. So when I was playing college ball, every questionnaire I got from a major league club, it had, are you familiar with the MLB college plan? So there's, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but it's a thing where if you make it to a certain point, like they'll pay for you to go back and finish school when your career is over. That's great. But I think as a part of a union deal or something, I'm not sure how it applied to minor leaguers, any of that, but there was a box I had to check on every questionnaire I filled out. Mm -hmm. And And I probably filled out about a dozen of them and it was on every single one of them. Are you familiar with this?
2: I can imagine. Well, were you familiar with it?
1: I did research and became familiar with it. Okay, um, but like, if you play, get X amount of service time, this that will pay for you to go back to school. For yes. guys that, for guys that never really made it, but committed to like a minor league thing, you know, and because yeah, guys that are in their mid thirties older than us still playing minor league ball. Yeah, not as much now as it was ten years ago, but
2: yeah or even like at the turn of the century you know like people would you know skip you know retire from major league baseball and go play out their days in the pacific coast league you know right? Literally. so uh,
1: correct you know career triple a guys <laughs> yeah you know but still cuz shit 10 years ago 10 years ago if you were going to make it into the show you would jump straight from double a to the show and those triple I guys triple a guys they were just kind of in limbo They'd yeah. be them late call-ups, like, we need a good locker room catcher, you know?
2: Yeah, or there'd be guys who, are like, who actually make the major leagues, but they For a like, cup of coffee. For a cup of coffee, and then they go back straight to the minor leagues, but well, yet they keep being on those minor league rosters because they produce for the teams. I mean, they're not really yeah. – they're not prospects, but they need – they're just there to fill spots on the roster. They're guy's
1: good enough to play baseball at that level, but not good enough to compete at the major league level. Right, right. And,
2: you know, if you can make a career doing that, I mean, that's just as good as being a career major (sighs) leaguer.
1: More so now. um, This is a different conversation for a different podcast, but (laughs) you're right and you're wrong, and we'll talk about that later.
2: Okay. Now, back back to McGriff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My my, my experience as a clubby at the Biscuits in Montgomery, kind of. Right. You know, you
2: have, you have that experience. I don't. So, yeah,
1: you can kind of, it, it's kind of, they've changed the minor league system now, but it was a little screwy.
2: Yeah. And I'm that, gonna.
1: but that shit, that was 10 years ago too. So, yeah.
2: but you know, it's all good. So, the Yankees gave McGriff a $20,000 signing bonus. Not bad. But, you know, after like maybe one year in the Yankees uh, minor league system, they traded McGriff with and Dale Collin, Dave Collins and Mike Morgan to the Toronto Blue Jays for Dale Murray and Tom Dodd, which, in hindsight, the trade is now considered to be one of the most one-sided deals in baseball history. But again, McGriff was just a guy in the minor leagues that you signed in the ninth round or drafted in the ninth round. You know, this is not like a Frank Robinson-Milt-Poppas trade. This is like, okay this guy's a young guy. We don't know what he's going to, we don't know if he's going to make it to the majors or not. We're just going to trade him because, you know, he's just one of those minor guys, you know, but, uh, you know, in 2006, Rob Nyer wrote that the trade looked particularly lopsided because it was one of the few instances, instances that a player of McGriff stature was traded before getting to the majors. Again, the Yankees didn't know if he was going to make it right. You know, and it made some sense from the Yankees perspective because Don Mattingly has already got to, you know, he just started his major league career in 81. He's there in 82 for the Yankees. You know, he's got first base locked down. And so, you know, they're like, okay, we we don't have any room for McGriff in the future. So we're just going to just train to the blue Jays, see if he makes it there, you know? But like some of the, some of the guys the Yankees got, they just weren't very good. Like, Murray and, and Dodd, like Dodd was released after the 82 season and then Murray only won three game, only won three games in three years with the Yankees. So, you know, I can see why that's hindsight, but at the same time, they just did what they did. They felt that it was a good decision and they just, you know, they didn't really know what McGriff could do. So honestly, I can't really blame George Steinbrenner for that one, you know?
1: Yeah. We're,
2: yeah. You just can't do that, you know? But in but you know hindsight's always twenty twenty. Like you could, you know, you have to understand what the moment's like. You have to understand like okay, we you know baseball decisions. You, you got to make baseball decisions, and not all the baseball decisions that you make are going to be great stuff, right? So you got to make what's best for the team at that time.
1: You're so, you're trying to you're trying to forecast what's gonna what somebody's gonna produce later.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and then in-game, it's a damn chess match, you know, and you might not have bought the right chess pieces. And that's really what baseball comes down to. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. And so this is cool.
2: Before McGriff became a regular major leaguer, Baseball Hall of Famer Ted Williams took note of his power at a batting practice session during spring training. Williams was drawn to McGriff when he heard the sound of the ball leaving McGriff's bat. That's pretty cool. I mean, you already got. Oh, games. you know
1: that Chris clean. When you see it, you know.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, if Ted Williams thinks you can hit, then you're going to make it in the major leagues for sure.
1: That's that's the right guy to. That's the right guy to sign off on you.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, after some more years of the minors in 1986, McGriff makes it to the major leagues with the Blue Jays right, on May 17th, 1986. He yeah, he played only two, played
1: three games that year, I think.
2: Yeah, according to baseball reference, Uh yeah, he only played three games. You know, he was one for five, no extra base hits, struck out twice, hit 200. But still, he made it. He made it to the majors.
1: Dip the toe in the water. We'll figure it out from here. Exactly. The
2: next year, 1987, he plays in 107 games. Hit 247 with 20 home runs and 43 RBIs. So now he's showing yeah.
1: off the power. He had uh, 73 hits and 295 at bats, scored 58 runs. Um only three stolen bases. You know, I feel I, like he was more of a speed guy than he was, but he was, he only had 72 stolen sacks in his whole career.
2: Yeah, I mean you think, you know, with his physique, you think he would like actually you, know, st- you know, steal more bases, but he was just a slugger. Honestly, I mean when I always look at pictures of Griff, I just don't think slugger because he's his physique is not the slugger type. He
1: looks like he should be playing right field or center field.
2: Right. You know, he kinda kinda reminds me of like Kenny Lofton to an extent, you know, like physique wise. Kenny but Lofton.
1: I'm- we need to do a Kenny Lofton episode. I love me Kenny Lofton. <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah. And so – but anyway, the dude was a slugger. But back to his um, – back to his first season 86. So he played two innings at first base in his first game. And then the next day he started his first career game as a designated hitter, which it's an American League team. You could do that. You know, this was before the Universal DH. And, um, you know, his – his first at bat was at the bottom of the second against Don Schultz, during which he hit a line drive to left field for his first career hit. So there you go. I mean, you know, it's just he did good. You know, and this is and then eighty seven, he's shining, and then the next year in eighty-eight, he hit thirty-four home runs for the Blue Jays with eighty-two RBIs as at batting average improved to two eighty-two. And he played 154 games in 88. So, again, he's, you know, becoming a budding star, you know, with the Blue Jays. And he just – it just keeps going up for McGriff. And then the next year in 89, he plays in 161 games. And he leads the National – I'm sorry, leads the American League in home runs with 36, as well as on-base plus slugging with .924 and then OPS plus with 165. And he finished sixth in MVP voting. MVP MVP voting, but still, it's like, and he won a Silver Slugger that year, his first Silver Slugger. So this is it's like, okay, now everybody's paying attention to McGriff. This yeah, guy when, winning
1: those awards is a big deal. Mm-hmm.
2: He also walked 119 times and struck out 132. So it's like, okay, you know, now pitchers don't want to pitch him, so they're walking him.
1: You know, yeah, yeah. If I mean, you can, I, if if your walks to strikeouts are right there equal, that means you have great plate discipline, you're a great fucking hitter, exactly. Like, guys, well, all right, I hate to say it's Tony Gwynn esque because nobody will ever be Tony Gwynn, right? Like, as far as plate approach and discipline, and Tony Gwynn could go over in his next, I think it was 1,000 at bats, and he'd still be a 300 hitter, yeah, but. But to have that discipline, it's Tony Gwynn-esque.
2: Yeah. And also, 1989 was the year that the Blue Jays played their first game at the Sky Dome, which is now called the Rogers Center. And Fenwick Griff hit the first home run at the Sky Dome. You know, I mean, that's fitting. I think that's fitting. You lead the, you lead the league in home runs, and you hit the first home run in the Sky Dome. I mean, that's a that's good it. year. Yeah. And the Blue Jays won their first American League East Division title I'm sorry, he wasn't their first. That was in 85. Their second, they won the L.E.'s title 89, and, of course, they lost to the A's, the Oakland A's in the playoffs. But, you know, he just kept hitting, you know, he kept being consistent. You know, he hit 300 for the first time the next year, 90. He hit, uh, what is it? He hit exactly 300 in 1990 with 35 home runs and 88 RBIs. You know, just a consistent hitter, you know, just doing great. And then the next year, he gets traded to the San Diego Padres. So McGriff missed out on the Blue Jays back-to-back World Series championships in 1992 But, you know, it's okay. So he goes to the Padres. Him and Tony Fernandez from the Blue Jays get traded to the Padres in exchange for Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter. So I would say that trade worked out spades for uh, the Blue Jays because Joe Carter hit that home run in the 93 World Series, and Roberto Alomar, pivotal player on the
1: 92-93
2: Jays. Robbie Alomar,
1: that's another name I forget about.
2: Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame, too. So that trade worked out for the Blue Jays pretty well, I'd say. And so he plays for the the Padres from 91 to 93. Still a consistent hitter. I mean, you know, with the pods, he hit – Callie's about to get in the picture. He hit 278 with 31. Oh, I got my pup. You
1: got your cat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what? Hey. hello. This is Callie. Hey, Callie. Callie is a good looking cat for y'all that are just listening. I'm going to try and make a video portion of this. <laughs> I'm so sure uh, some of y'all, if I make the video portion, you'll see my little dog, Lebowski. Um, yeah. Now, nah, he played well for the Padres, though.
2: He really did. You know, being teammates minutes for Tony Gwynn. You know, that helped. And, um, you know, he played well for the Padres. Like I said, 278 with 31 home runs and 100, 106 RBIs. Well, his slash
1: line was 278, 396, 474, and that's all-star numbers. Absolutely. He
2: also led the league in – led the National League in intentional walks with 26. So, again yeah, – that, Yeah,
1: that was before people used that as much as I do now, I too, I feel like.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is before you know, like Barry Bonds getting like a whole. That's bunch
1: kind of that. the angle I was playing on that, Matt. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you know, twenty six and back in ninety one. I think that was a high. That's a pretty high number, you know.
1: Yeah, and then and, ninety.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And
1: then yeah, ninety three. Um. Oh wait, wait. We skipped ninety two. Oh, ninety two. He um. He, he made his first All Star appearance. Mm-hmm three years after he had accomplished the same feat in the American League. um, So he was an all-star in both leagues after 90, after 92. Yeah. And then in July of 80, 93, um, the Padres, they didn't have nothing cooking. Tony wins Padres, you know, they didn't have nothing cooking, so they offloaded him to the Braves to get rid of some money. Yeah, and um, they got a prospect by the name of Vince Moore, and his name doesn't even show up blue on Wikipedia, so it tells you how, how much he did. A guy <laughs> named Donnie Elvin and Melvin Nevis Nevis
2: Neves ne-
1: Neves Neves. I think we got to make sure we get these pronunciations right, Matthew.
2: Yes, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: But um, he hit a home run in his first game with the Braves, who acquired him um, to replace the struggling Sid the Slide Bream mm-hmm. at, at first base, and it to kind of provide an offensive spark. And he was a key player in the 51-19 to 19 finish to overtake the Giants to claim first base in the West for a third consecutive season. A lot of people forget the Braves were in the West for a long time.
2: Yeah, from 69
1: to 93. Yeah, like that just doesn't add up.
2: Yeah, it, like I said, so that's kind of like
1: Nashville Predators. I'm a hockey guy. Nashville Predators being in the Western Conference when yeah. you have teams, it, it just it doesn't
2: add up, man, logistically. Yeah, or like in the old day, or like before the major league reshuffle, the minor leagues, Nashville Sounds played in the Pacific. uh pacific
1: coast league right yeah
2: and i'm like that that's not in the pacific coast have fun like, out
1: in stockton <laughs> right <laughs> or, or Bakersfield. yeah or uh, fresno or
2: something like that yeah but uh so this is this is what i remember about 93 mcgriff comes to the braves in 93 in the middle of 93 season i think his first day in atlanta and I saw this on the Braves win it all video about their 95 World Series.
1: reference on this, me and Matthew were what? We're the, were the same age. We're both like yeah. three, four years old. We're,
2: we're 32. Yeah, I mean, like we're 32 now. We're like three, four, two, three, four years old then. So the first day that McGriff was um, with the Braves, the press box at Atlanta-Fulton County Stadium caught fire. Yeah, and they had to go put it out, <laughs> which they did, but like, you know, obviously it delayed the game or like it postponed the game.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I wish I could remember what all happened, but that's what, <laughs> you know, yeah, okay. It's like, yeah, it's a hot summer in Atlanta and McGriff shows up and the, you know, the press box hashes fire. <laughs> what can you do, you know? <laughs> And so, you know, 94 is the strike shortened season.
1: Yeah, he had a hell of a year. He hit 318, had 34 dingers.
0: Yeah, that and, was.
1: The- and, that, and that was the play when it was August. So he had another month to hit another 10 homers at the pace he was on, month and a half, you know, possible playoffs.
2: Yeah, but then the strike just wiped all that out as we've. As we'll discuss in a future episode.
1: Yeah, and he was the all-star MVP because he, he had the tie in home run for the National League, but they were down 7-5, and he had a dinger. And then um, same year, he was runner-up to junior, Griffey Jr., in the home run derby. Wow. Such a sweet swing, Griffey Jr. One of the best. So sweet. That's, so- my, that's my favorite jersey I have in my closet is Griffey Jr. Mariners.
2: You showed me that one yeah, yeah.
1: that's good. it's got the whole fan patch on it which is kind of meh. but so cool man but after 95 he um signed a four-year contract worth 20 million with the Braves 20 million now man that's didn't even show up and play for 20 million anymore it doesn't seem like if you're a guy with any notoriety but he signed a four-year contract with $20 million with the Braves. He hit uh slash line of 295, 365, 494. With the career-best 107 ribbies to another World Series appearance in 96. Um, had 22 home runs in 97. And then uh, he was called out on strikes by umpire Eric Gregg oh, on yeah. a pitch thrown by LeVon Hernandez. I hope I pronounce that right? During yeah. the 1997 NLCS, which <laughs> was the last significant event for McGriff as a member of the Braves, they allowed him to pick up. They allowed him uh, to be picked up by the Devil Rays at the end mm-hmm. of the season. Which I'm not sure if they yeah. call the Devil Rays that anymore, but
2: they're not. Yeah, well, they, that that was their first year as the Devil Rays. Now they're just a Rays.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, if but- it, it, on Wikipedia and anything, it still says Devil Rays, and I love it.
2: Yeah. Now, but you forget to mention that '95. He was a member of the World Champion Braves.
1: He was. Uh, he got he, a ring with the Braves.
2: Yep, and in the World Series, he hit two home runs in the World Series to uh, to help the Braves win the World Series that year. And he was a cleanup hitter. You know, I played-
1: think I think that's a big part of him getting in on the Hall of Fame this year is that series.
2: Right. You know. I mean. The writers may not come out and say it, but they also kind of look at what you do in the postseason as well. You know, and they look to see if you have a ring, you know, which they may or may not openly say that, but it also it, – it helps your Hall of Fame candidacy if you have a ring, you know. Yeah. And, for, and, and you know, also Fred McGriff, you know, the 95 season was shortened too because the 94 strike went into deep and in like into like April of 95, you know. So – McGriff led the league, led the National League in games played that year with 144.
1: Well, you can ask uh, your dad and my dad. There's a lot. There's a huge section of the baseball market that Major League Baseball lost during that strike because, like, especially in, like, St. Louis, places like that, like, we're just cool. We're going to quit coming to baseball games because y'all are all being greedy a-holes.
2: Yeah. It's just, you know, it's crazy.
1: It's like my dad you know, me and my dad have talked about that. Like it's just a lot of people are just like, hey, cool, I'm done with baseball and have not never come back to it.
2: Yeah, not even the home run race brought them back.
1: Which is the stuff that made our generation really love it.
2: Right. And you know, and, and this is why we have the crazy rules that we're gonna have to this year to bring baseball back and try to convince people that baseball isn't boring.
1: You know, do you see that picture today that came out of the bigger base?
2: Yeah, I saw it.
1: What are your your thoughts on that?
2: They claim it's, it's for safety, but I'm like,
1: you know, it's just going to, I mean, when has the base ever hurt anybody other than like, like, I got I got a screwed up finger because my little, my, my little pinky, because I dove in with open hands and I caught the corner. You yeah. know, but that's my own doing. Like, when is a base ever really? It's not the base. It's like
2: the technique you use to
1: slide as well. Exactly. As, that's where I'm at. Yeah,
2: it's the technique as well as the fielder um, fielding the base, you know, whether he puts the ball in your heart or like, you know, what have you. That's the only way you can get injured.
1: Well, and there's certain times for that hard tag, you know, and there's certain times yeah. for a you little know, finesse tag, you know, and you always got to right. sell it. But,
2: and of course, he also claimed that this may, you know, m- encourage more base runners to steal bases.
1: Let's just do a slow pitch softball doesn't have two bases.
2: Why not? That's kind of why not? <laughs> uh, whatever. I mean, but anyway, so. Fred McGriff returns home technically and he plays on the 98 Tampa Bay Rays. He's a, a member of the inaugural season, the Rays, along with fellow Hall of Famer, Wade Boggs, you know, their teammates. And I, love, I love Wade Boggs. Who doesn't?
1: <laughs> I got I got a Boggs Red Sox jersey in my closet right now. I love Wade Boggs. Yeah, you know, Wade Boggs. I every- want it. I've, I'm I'm shopping for a, a, an actual like legit game used Boggs inaugural season jersey. I will pay. I'll I will trade my car in for it.
2: I'm sure you can find it. Anyway, so Boggs, you know I think Boggs has gained more um, fame over the years because that that sunny. That's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, did he?
1: Well, and you got the story of Boggs and the 79,000 beers cross-country flight from New York to (laughs) Seattle to play baseball. Yeah, 76 beers. And then I fucking hit that night and it went two for three. Like, yeah, right. Okay.
2: There's no way. But anyway, so 98, McGriff is still doing good. He plays 151 games for the Rays. Uh he hits 284 with 19 home runs and 81 RBIs. So he's still contributing. I mean, even though he is 34 at the start of the season, you know, he's still a productive guy. Got 160 hits. You know, he's still doing good for the rays. 19 uh 1935. 1999, he plays in 144 games, but he hits 310 with 32 home runs and 104 RBIs. So, you know, in his 30 30 age thirty five season, he's still doing good. You know, he's he's producing good. You know, playing for his hometown
1: team, you know. Hey, let me bust this with the pause. I use the restroom of fest. Okay. I'll be right back. Sounds good. And then we're into him with the Cubs in the two thousands. I forgot he was even the Cub. Yeah, and then after another season in two 2000- thousand um, He got a good start in 2001 and was pursued by the Cubs about the trade deadline. Um, He waived his no-trade clause to allow himself to be dealt to Chicago, which, as a guy playing in Tampa, up until, what, the last few years, they had that little good run the last five, six years, not as much lately, but as a guy in the early 2000s with an expansion team, I could see wanting to do that. Yeah. Um. And uh, they got traded for Manny Ibar and a player to be named later. But he, he hit two eighty two with 12 homers and 49 games with the Cubs, but they didn't make the postseason. Of course they didn't. 12 homers and 49 games is pretty sporty. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, 2003, he wound up out in Los Angeles with the Doyers. I <laughs> had 30 homers in 2002, which earned him a one year contract. Uh, that's 30 with, with the Cubs. They so earned him one year contract with the Dodgers. Um, 22 homers shy of 500 for his career. He only hit 13, hit 249. So he's starting to slump off.
2: Mm hmm. He just them.
1: And he was on a DL a lot that year. And then um he went back to the, the D Rays in 2004. Um they re-signed him during spring training. He ended up with a 181 average, two homers. And he didn't play much. He was kind of sporadic. Like filling kind of feeling kind of guy, like, hey, so and so's so and so's taking a day off. You'll you'll play today. Uh mm-hmm. But they released him in mid-July, seven home runs shy of 500, and then he declared declared his retirement during uh, sp- the following spring training. Well,
2: received, Which kind of well, sucks,
1: man. I That I, I would burn me up as a ball player to be five shy of 500 home runs. Or yeah, what, seven he, shy. What, seven shy, five shy? Seven shy. Seven of, shy.
2: Right, he had 493 home runs. He was the same as Lou Gehrig, you know.
1: Somebody let me DH for a month. Something, you know.
2: Yeah. I mean, not even I mean like no none of the thirty teams were interested in them. They're like, Yeah, you can't hit because they saw that one eighty one average in twenty seven games with the rays in 04, and they said, Now you're done. You know. Which is disappointing, but hey, you know, still four hundred and ninety three home runs is nothing to sneeze at.
1: Hey. With today's baseball, you know, you used to have those hard cutoffs. hmm uh, three thousand hit Hall of Fame. Five hundred home runs Hall of Fame. Um, what was his wins? Three hundred wins. Three hundred wins Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think three. I think it's skewed a little bit more now because the game has changed so much over eras. Where he's seven shy Hall of Fame, you know, and I yeah. think that's really what I know. What the Veterans Committee elected him right.
2: Yeah, he got looked by the veterans
1: committee. Well, which is guys he may have played with. Yeah. Some of them, you know, and... You know. But But, it's... You know, those standards are going to slowly decrease. Because, like, guys like Maddox, Gladden Smoltz, with the way MLB is allegedly juicing baseballs and stuff like that now. mm -hmm. And the way the game has progressed with these hitters, it, it those numbers, those just aren't attainable anymore.
2: Yeah. And, you know, players don't play – some players just don't play as long as, you know.
1: Well, and you um, had that change in the DL rule. Oh, yeah. What? that's six years ago now. Five years ago now. Where they – what was it? It went from 15-day to 10-day or – I forget yeah. exactly what it is.
2: 15 to 10, somewhere around there. They call it the injured reserve list. They don't even call it the disabled list.
1: Yeah. But it's it, the same thing, you know. It's um, – I was in that – I was in that uh, fancy baseball league with Johnny Childress and um KD and his brother Mike and all those guys. And Sven, when that happened, that was a game changer for our fantasy baseball league.
2: Yeah. Speaking of Mike uh, Dodson, I saw him and uh, Terry Helms at Little Rosie's this morning, and Mike – no, not Mike. Terry asked me who he should draft for his um, fantasy baseball league. And, of course, I told him Shohei Otani, but he's like, well, I can only draft him as either a hitter or a pitcher.
1: Oh, he could he could technically so that league when Shohei came in, I was in that league. That was the last year I was in that league. You can draft him. He's two separate players. Yeah. He's he's Shohei Otani pitcher and he's Shohei Otani designated hitter. So yeah. he's two separate players, which is wild.
2: Yeah. This is crazy.
1: Dude, but, that but guy, that guy's a freak, man.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure in the future he'll get his own episode. You know, he's amazing. But anyway, so now McGriff, he stayed with baseball after his retirement as a player, which, you know, is great. You know, not every player can do that. So in 2007, he joined the Devil Rays as a special advisor and he stayed with them until 2010. And then in 2015, he joined the Braves as a special assistant to baseball operations department, working with the minor league players. So, so yeah, still-
1: I saw that. Is he still with the Braves, or...? Uh, I'm not sure.
2: Uh, I'd have to double-check on that. Because I like,
1: couldn't find whether he was still with them or not, because a lot of those guys in those roles, they're kind of uncredited and behind the scenes. Yeah,
2: so as far as I know, he could still be with the Braves, and we just don't know about it. You know, but anyway... And so with his – in 2010, McGriff became eligible for election for the Hall of Fame. And in 2010, he got 21.5% of the vote. Tragedy, Yeah. And – That's BS. Yeah. And over the next four elections, McGriff's vote percentage ranged from a high of 23.9% to a low of 11.7%. And he remained eligible until 2019, which was last year on the ballot. And in 2019, he received 39.8% of the vote, which was his highest vote total, highest vote percentage in his, you know, time on the ballot. And so this past, so in this offseason, McGriff is on the Veterans Committee ballot. And this is a stacked Veterans Committee ballot. Not only did they have McGriff on there, they had Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling. Steroids,
1: steroids, steroids.
2: Yeah. Um, a bunch of other people, too, I can't think of. But those were the three main... Oh, Don Mattingly, Dale Murphy, and some other guys.
1: Yeah, you know, Dale you... Murphy probably deserves to be there. And that, that might be me as a fucking guy from Alabama who grew up about knowing about doe murphy you know
2: yeah but this you know because of the steroids guys this ballot was talked about a lot compared to like previous veterans committee ballots and so and out of that veterans committee ballot mcgriff was the only one that got
1: elected out of that
0: yeah,
2: hey, I and, think it is.
1: I think I truly think he deserves to be there. The crime dog deserves I think, to be in Cooperstown.
2: I think so too because he was like we. He was a consistent hitter, consistently hit home runs, produced RBIs until you know.
1: the last last two two and a half years of his career. He was a consistent guy.
2: Yeah, and maybe his time on the on the ballot before the Veterans Committee, maybe because he played in the era of steroids. You know, maybe that kind of hindered his chances to get in before then, before now. But it's like, dude, dude, look at this physique. I mean, do you think he would use steroids I'd, to hit 493 home runs? I don't think so.
1: Uh, he was just there to play ball, mm-hmm.
2: and that's what he did. And so, of course, my mom was really happy because my mom's a Braves fan, and you know, she thinks highly of the crime dog. You and might honestly, have,
1: you might have some insight on this that I don't have. Is she is he gonna wear a ray's hat or a brave's hat or no hat on his I, have not,
2: I don't know. I, I honestly don't know.
1: Cause I I because you, you know, like a lot of him remember him as a brave, a lot of them a lot of him remember him as the devil rays with the sweet black and neon colored devil rays jerseys. Yeah. he gotta pick one of those two.
2: I wouldn't be surprised I wouldn't be surprised if it was either Braves or, or Rays. Or if he just goes no hat. Or if he could go no hat because he's played for multiple teams. I mean, I wouldn't. I I don't think anybody would be offended. It's got
1: to be one of the two. I was just curious if you had any insight on that because I know I, you're still in touch with people from the Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, they, they don't tell me anything. I mean, they don't tell me how that works. I just write short stops for them and volunteer at the Hall of Fame for the induction ceremony, and that's all they ask me to do. So, <laughs> you know. But uh, that's all I really got to say about McGriff. Do you have anything?
1: I don't, man. The crime dog. That's one jersey I need to add to my collection.
2: Yeah, it's a worthy jersey for sure.
1: I want, so- I want that black with the neon colors, devil rays across it. Before they had to class it up because devil wasn't allowed on a jersey, you know. Which, well, whatever. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like, if you're yeah.
1: offended, if you're offended by a baseball team being called Devil Ray after a fish. Me and you disagree, and <laughs> we're not but gonna have a beer together.
2: <laughs> they're probably they're probably seeing people are offended by Smith, Sam Smith's Grammy performance, <laughs> which I didn't even watch it, but I've heard. Some well, that's
1: like before. people that complained about Beyonce at the Grammys. Do wanted especially yes, yeah, she had one. It's in her belly. You can't expect her to do too much.
2: Yeah, I mean, or not
1: Beyonce, Rihanna, Rihanna.
2: It's just first world problems, man.
1: Yeah, man. Everybody wants to complain, and nobody wants to work and do nothing about it.
2: And nobody wants to praise anybody.
1: hell, uh, we got another guy that got in the Hall of Fame this year. Mm-hmm. By the name of Scott Rowland. The old Scott. Heck of a third baseman. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, um, there's, there's only, like – I think he's, like, the
2: 18th third baseman elected to the Hall of Fame. You know, out of, like, 300
1: guys, you know. <laughs> that seems like a pretty respectable number. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was born in April of 75. Um, he played 17 seasons in the league with the Phillies, the Cardinals, and the Blue Jays and the Reds. He's most notable as the Cardinal. Mm-hmm. He <laughs> was there. He was there for the Cardinals like what, 04 and 08 title years, I think. Um, 04, they won the pin and 06. They won the uh, World Series. That's it. That's it. Yep. Because the Red Sox won in 04. Yep. Um, A seven time all star, 1997 NL rookie of the year. And the 2006, as a member of the Cardinals, he won World Series. He was regarded as one of the best defensive third basemen of all time. And he also won eight gold gloves. And I don't know if y'all saw that, any of y'all saw that video when he walked into his parents' house. I saw it after he got the phone call. Uh And his mom's like, What's up? And, and she knew she he, she knew he was hiding some BS. And uh, <laughs> he's like, "I'm going to the Hall of Fame." And that's the way his family lost lost the, they just, lost it they lost <laughs> it. Like that's what you play the game for. It's bigger than sports, man. Like y'all, mm-hmm. as my parents, sacrificed so much for me to become a good ball player, mm-hmm. for me to come tell you this news, man. That's what it's all about. That's what every kid. In the back of their head, really wants. I want to win Game Seven of the World Series. I want to strike out Babe Ruth, and I want to tell my parents I'm going to the Hall of Fame. And that's what that's about. Absolutely,
2: it's a great moment for the Rowan family.
1: And that was a great video because uh, you could tell you could tell Dad already knew. Yeah, because so Dad because Dad had already watched ESPN that day. Yeah, but Mama so- didn't have a clue.
2: <laughs> it was so wholesome, you know. It was yeah, great.
1: But he made his debut on August 1st of 1996 with the Phils. And um, his last appearance was the Reds in 2012, which I kind of hate. I wish he were have touted Cardinal. But, you know, it'd be that way sometimes. Um, 281 hitter, 2,077 hits, 316 home runs, 1,287 RBIs. And this is kind of what we were talking about a minute ago, about those slash lines that really solidify you as a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. Because he's one of them first guys to have a little bit below that and start getting into the Hall of Fame. Because of the way the game's changed. Like, yeah. 281, it's not 300, 2,077 hits. That's not 3,000, you know, so it's. Yeah.
2: I mean, there's they're respectable numbers, but again, you know. But they used ever... to be
1: milestones, like, if you don't get this, you're not a of famer,
2: Right, but, you know, back in the old days, players played hurt. There was no DL. You played to keep your job, you know, in, on the field.
1: Well, pitchers you threw nine innings every time they went out. Right. They there was not many relief pictures
2: in, in the old days. So those numbers are just astronomical, you know, compared to today's players.
1: But he is an eight time gold glover, a seven time all star, and things like that counteract those certain numbers those those um, calculable numbers. Yeah. Um now, and then, I'm sorry, go ahead. I messed up. <laughs> uh, I, I ain't got nothing to add to do that. Um, I was just gonna say he was from Evansville, Indiana,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Jasper High School, and uh, his senior year he was named Mister Indiana Baseball. He played, also played tennis. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And um, he is also a basketball player. and Was Indiana High School basketball all star team. Um, he got he got a bunch of sc- a flurry of scholarship offers. Oklahoma State, Bama. Um he actually committed to play basketball for the J- University of Georgia and then the Phillies drafted him. <laughs>
2: in the and,
1: second uh, Yeah. In the second round, the Phillies drafted him. And uh it got real complicated there. He told reporters after the draft they hope he could forge a deal to let him play for the Phillies farm system and the basketball team in the winter. You can't do both without going to school. No. And uh he chose for to forgo his commitment to Georgia to sign with the Phillies and focus on baseball and he um Went to rookie level Martinsville Phillies in Martinsville, Martinsville, Virginia. Yep. Fine yep. NASCAR race they have there two times a year. Yep. Um, that's in the Appalachian League. I mean, uh, he played 25 games in his first season with a th- hit. He had 313, 12 ribbies during 80 at bats. It's not terrible, mm-hmm. not great, but. After the spring training with the Phillies, he uh, opened the 94 with the low-A Spartanburg Phillies in the South League. Mm-hmm. His metrics in Spartanburg were pretty decent. 295, 10 homers, 30 doubles, 61 ribbies. Um, but he had 35 defensive errors. For a, guy, <laughs> for a guy that's an eight-time gold glove winner, that's a little suspect. Yeah,
2: but that shows that you know, he got that out of his system in the minor leagues, and obviously he improved in majors, you know.
1: Well, and whoever was coaching him in the minor leagues deserves a pay raise. Absolutely. You, you know, like, that's, that's like some Juan Ron Washington stuff to make a guy, you know, because you see these videos all the time of Juan Washington, even all offseason, starting shortstops. I'll meet with, up with Ron in New Orleans at his house, and we'll play ground balls in his backyard, you know, like. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Now and then um I'm gonna say going back to him getting a scholarship from Georgia for, for basketball, that's I mean him and McGriff have something in common. They both got athletic scholarships from Georgia and they both forego it to go play major league minor and major league baseball, you know. And yeah. of course, you know, now even though he made thirty-five errors in for the ninety-four Spartanburg Phillies.
1: Yeah, manager, playing
2: what rookie ball? Or yeah. A ball? Single A ball
1: in the Sally League. Eh, man, eh, yeah. What are those errors really worth, man? We're developing other skills here.
2: Yeah, his his manager, Roy Metzke, who also managed the Birmingham Barons before he managed the Spartanburg Phillies. He defended Roland's defensive performance saying, I've seen bad hops that hit him in the head be ruled an error. It's a joke. I honestly think you could take half of them away. Well, good. And, of course, he won. He was the team's MVP, batting 294, 14 home runs, 72 RBIs. But apparently Roland was not satisfied with anything he did, telling reporters after the season, I need to improve my entire game. And when the season concluded, he participated in the, the Florida Instructural League to continue on honing his sport. So he saw, you know what? 35 errors, you know, decent production numbers at the plate. I, I'm gonna I need to do I need to I wanna improve in this. You know, I can't this this is not gonna apply for me to make it to the majors if I keep doing like this, you know.
1: And yeah, that was also probably in a time I'm sure somebody knows about this, but it might have been in a time where like these minor league fields aren't major league quality the way they are now. Right. Like I mean, the stuff, the stuff the Pandas have, the stuff the Barons have down here. Like they're playing on great A pristine ball fields every day. Yeah. And back in that time period, it might not have been the same way. So he's getting some bad hops. But I really respect the fact that his manager stepped up and said. Scorekeeping was kind of flawed. And I also respect the fact that he owned up as a ball player and was like, I got to be better. Mm hmm. Because you're you're gonna win you're gonna win some you're gonna lose some and when you take your L's and you own your L's that makes you better as a human being.
2: Yeah, and the '94 Spartanburg Phillies they played at Duncan Park, and Duncan Park was built in 1926, so you know you're playing an ancient ballpark by '94 standards. You know, in fact, they're so old they had seats from Shy Park in their grandstand. Kind of cool. Yes. Yeah. That, that's probably the coolest thing about Duncan Park is the shy park seats. At well, the same probably.
1: time, you could be playing the old ballpark, but the turf, you know, that could be completely new if somebody just wouldn't yeah. spend the money to do it.
2: Yeah, and maybe he made some of those errors like on the road and not in Spartan. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. But, I, you know, we're, we're speculative here.
2: Yeah, but either way, he said, I need to improve. So he did the Florida Instructional League. And since he was a minor league player, he was unaffected by the 94 95 MLB strike. And in April, he went to high A, you know, Clearwater Phillies of the Florida State League. He missed the first part of the season because he fractured a, a fractured hook of Hammett, H A M A T E, on his glove hand that required surgery.
1: And so uh, that he, is this part right here on your hand.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah. That that could be. Yeah, that could hurt.
1: I know. Uh, um, Hunter Morris did that. Uh, I think his junior or senior year at Auburn, he had the same thing. Man.
2: Well, all right. Scott and Hunter have something in common.
1: <laughs> I'm yeah. wanting to say that's what Hunter did. Uh, I know he had that hand fracture. It might have been his junior or senior year at Auburn.
2: Well, when I see him at the Alabama-Milton C. State baseball game at Toyota Field, maybe I'll ask him about it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's what that was called because he fractured that outside. That's
2: you know, that's, I don't it, hear it's
1: it's it's um, more commonly called a hitter's fracture if it's the same thing I'm thinking of. I might be c- completely wrong, but I think that's what it is. It's a hitter's fracture that bottom hand. Yeah, on the knob and kind of like tennis elbow, you know. Yeah.
2: Oh, well. But, you know, he fractured it, but he got back in June of 95. You know, June 6th of 95, he hit two home runs against the Brevard County not, sorry, Brevard County Manatees in his first game after the injury. And apparently the injury appeared to help Roland's offensive performance as it was less painful for him to hit a pitch well inside in the strike zone than outside of it. And he hit like 290 with 10 home runs, 39 RBIs, and 238 bats. You know, and they, he got promoted to double A that same season to the Reading Phillies in Reading, Pennsylvania on August 16th. And he played like 20 games. He bat 290 with three home runs and 15 RBIs. So, you know, he's moving up. And in 96, the start of the 96 season, they kept him, the Phillies kept him in Reading because they had Todd Zeal playing first base. I'm What's sorry. His third name? base. That's the name. That's his name. I think he also played for the Cardinals.
1: Uh, he's big time Met. I remember he as a Met growing up. If yeah. I'm not mistaken.
2: You know, but yeah, he played for the Cardinals, Cubs, Phillies, Orioles, Dodgers, Marlins, Rangers, Mets, Rockies, Yankees, Expos.
1: I remember him as a Met the year the Mets had that big breakdown. And I think he's playing first base, right? And, uh, yeah. And that year, the the Mets folded the 13 game lead with like 18 days ago or something like that. I forget oh, the yeah. exact numbers, but I, I remember him. I think he was the first baseman on that team. I, I might be wrong, but I remember him in that time period. I remember us being watching this weekend baseball on Fox Sports and Saturdays when we were children. Yeah. And Todd Zeal was the first baseman for the Mets. <laughs>
2: yeah. But anyway, so 96. When he's with Reading, he hit like 361 with eight, uh, nine home runs, 42 RBIs. He led the league in th- with average 361, 83 hits, 22 doubles, and a 568 slugging percentage, and 33 extra base hits in 61 games. He got promoted to Triple A Scranton Wilkes-Barre Red Barons of the International League on June 13th. And, you know, the Phillies were playing to call him up. You know, uh, soon after that, like, he batted 274 in 45 games of Scranton with two home runs and 19 RBIs. And then, you know, the Phillies, rather than taking advantage of the MLB trading deadline to acquire new players for the struggling team because the Phillies just weren't doing that great in 96, they chose to promote Roland to his major league debut on August 1st, 1996. And he debuted – his debut was in the first game of a hair against the Cardinals. And he recorded his first major league hit and error in the Phillies 2-1 victory over the Cards. And then his first two home runs came on August 21st as they shut out the Dodgers on that, uh, that day. And, you know, it. It this should have been his rookie season, but he fractured uh, his right ulna after being hit by a pitch from Steve trashall in a 4-2 Phillies victory over the Cubs on September 7th. So, you know, in the in the 37 games he played for the Phillies, he hit 254 with 4 home runs, 18 RBIs and two, you know, no stolen bases. You know, so he did well until he got injured. He did it, it good decent rookie numbers, you know, not anything eye-opening but just decent for his first season. You know, the the Phillies knew that it was it was his time to come up. And um, the next year, ninety-seven. This is where he really broke out. He played in one hundred fifty-seven, sorry, one hundred fifty-six games, and he hit two eighty-three with twenty-one home runs and ninety-two RBIs and sixteen stolen bases, which was the most stolen bases he stole in a career in a season. And he won Rookie of the Year. So he was on his way up from that. From that day forward, he was ready to go. He
1: kind of shot for the moon from there.
2: Yeah, his his career was on the up and up from there. In 98, he won his first gold glove. And, you know, his first of eight gold gloves, which only Brooks Robinson and Mike Schmidt and Nolan Arenado have wore gold gloves as third baseman. So, I mean, you know, that you're in good company right there with Brooks and Mike and, and Nolan, for sure. You
1: know. Yeah. Arenado, he'll probably be a Hall of Famer one day.
2: Yeah, I, I unless
1: did, he unless he just fizzles out real hard. He'll be a Hall of Famer one day.
2: Or like injuries like mess with his career, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like unless unless he falls off a cliff.
2: Right. He's which,
1: in good company.
2: Yeah. And he's just, you know, he was supposed to be one of the key pieces of the Phillies revival of like I guess the Phillies getting better. However,
1: the Phillies did get better there too with Ryan Howard and all that. And yeah,
2: later later on, they did. But during his time, the Phillies just weren't, you know they're they're playing second fill to the Braves and the Mets and the Marlins.
1: Oh, the Braves dominated that division that period, With Marlins, nothing to show for it, but they dominated the division. Yeah, and then the
2: Marlins won the World Series in 97. The Mets made the World Series in 2000. You know, I mean, it was just tough to get anything going for the Phillies. And so, Roland, Roland is apparently having constant friction during this time with his manager and longtime Philly player, manager, coach, Larry
1: Boa. I love Larry Bowe's argument videos, but he was a stubborn son of a gun.
2: Yeah, he really was. And so, like, he's just
1: not happy in Philly. It's Larry's Larry's way or no way.
2: Yeah, and because of that, as well as he claiming that management was not trying hard enough to win, he demanded a trade. And so the Phillies, on July 29th, 2002, they traded Roland and Doug Nickel to the St. Louis Cardinals for Placido Polanco, Mike Timlin, and Bud Smith. And then you know he's on the now he's on the Cardinals, you know. And then you know near the end of the season he signed an eight-year, ninety million dollar extension with the Cardinals.
1: I thought that's a good trade though, because Placido Polanco had a decent career. Mm -hmm. He's not be a Hall of Fame guy, but he put up some decent numbers. Yeah, Uh, Mike Tillman—that's for baseball people. That's a semi-household name. Mm -hmm. Couldn't tell you a damn thing about Bud Smith. But I feel like, I feel like from the gate, that, that seems like a semi-fair trade. And also, in
2: 2002, Roland made his first all-star appearance. His first of uh, seven. So, you know, 2002 started off rocky, wasn't getting along with Larry Boa, and now he's with the Cardinals. It ends with the Cardinals, and, you know, the Cardinals are getting to be better because they have Albert Pujols. And, you know, That's they're getting. Guy. I love him. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and so he is just He is happy because he's with the Cardinals And the Cardinals
1: You know, they're they are going to do great things In the 2000s And you know? that was like prime Cardinals Where the window is wide open Before the window closed Like that is prime time to be a Cardinal Yeah That absolutely. is the time to be a Cardinal Where you never have to obey a par tab in that city ever again
2: Right <laughs> Just immense the um, the uh, reputation of St. Louis as a baseball town, you know,
1: dude. Yeah,
2: dude,
1: let yeah. me tell you. Have you ever been to a ball game in St. Louis? I've not. I want to. You got to. You need to take your dad and your brothers up there to a ball game in St. Louis. It hits different. Yeah, I mean, it's different. it's like going to an SEC football game at, a, at an MLB stadium. It, it's just different.
2: I can imagine. I, I mean, I, I'm i always envious to you or any of my other friends who go to Cardinals games. We've
1: been to a Cardinals game in St. Louis, you know. So, I was – I was um, I hadn't been to one in a long time. It was one of the last 30 in Bush Stadium, and it was the day they signed Larry Walker. Oh, yeah. So, Taguchi was playing center field. He made uh, multiple errors in center field that night. He just he was off, and they were booing him. It was like going to an auburn outbound football game. In a baseball stadium. Wow! Like, you have to check it off.
2: I will. I, that would be that
1: would be that a good trip for you and your dad and brother to make. Go up there and go to the Arch and tell your mom. There's so much stuff y'all can go up there and do. Yeah, you could spend a, three. You could spend three weeks in St. Louis and not do all the tourist stuff.
2: I can imagine because there's so much. All right. And so, you know, he is just high on the hog. He is just living the dream, playing in St. Louis. And in St. Louis – whoop, that was my my computer, sorry. In St. Louis, you know, he makes four straight all-star appearances. You know, he's on the 2004 Cardinals when they win the National League pennant, and then they get swept by the Red Sox. That one hurt. Yeah. And he hits – in 2004, he had 124 RBIs, which was the most RBIs he had in the season. And he hit 314 while hitting 34 home runs. You know, I mean, he's just, he's producing. He's a, he's a part of the, t- you know, he's a cog in that team. And then 2006, he, the Cardinals win the World Series against the Tigers in, I think, was it five games? I Maybe mean, it was six. No, it was five because yeah, Kenny
1: Rodgers. Yeah, because Kenny
2: Rogers was the only Tiger
1: pitcher to win a game. Oh, Kenny Rogers. Punch out a cameraman, Kenny Rogers.
2: That was the year. (laughs) And Before before that season, my dad and I went to Kissimmee, Florida during spring break to see the Astros spring train. And the Astros were playing the Detroit Tigers that day. And Kenny Rogers was a starting pitcher. And then after he did his, I don't know, five, six innings or whatever, he was signing autographs like down the first base line for anybody, and so I got my scorecard and like the pencil that they gave, or no, the lineup card from my program, and then the little pencil that they gave me, and I got Kenny Rogers to sign that little lineup card, and he, I said, thank you, Kenny. He said, you're welcome, and that was it. I mean, it was just like, well, that's really cool. You go to spring training, you get an autograph from a major league player. That was just so cool, you know. It was Do you remember true. Kenny
1: Rogers punching out the cameraman? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> uh, uh, Kenny Rogers, Kenny Powers. Yeah, Kenny Powers. <laughs> I really, th- I really think Kenny Powers was half John Rocker, or half Kenny Rogers.
2: Yeah, I can see that. Um, you know, and allegedly,
1: so, allegedly, I have to say that. Yeah. Apparently, they but can they, sue us if we don't say allegedly. <laughs>
2: right, and so this is interesting. During the 2004 season, he finished fourth in the MVP voting. And along with Albert Pujols and Jim Edmonds, they earned the nickname MV3 for their outstanding 2004 season. So, like, all three of them had great seasons in 04.
1: Yeah, any any one of those three guys could have won the MVP award. Yeah. And they lost the World Series.
2: And they lost the World Series. I mean, so he hit. They got
1: swept, if I was thinking, right?
2: Yeah, they got swept by the Red Sox. And in the NLCS, Roland hit a two-run home run in game seven, uh in the sixth inning of game seven against the Houston Astros and Roger Clemens and that helped that helped uh the Cardinals clinch the National League pennant that year. So he he also performed. excuse me, he also performed in the playoffs, you know. And but he's just, you know, and also he got injured in 05. He uh got into a collision with Dodgers first baseman, he Choi. I haven't thought about him in a while. And he's uh,
1: playing... Shit. You're right. Yeah.
2: yeah. And he, uh, you know, he, he underwent surgery and then an additional MRI revealed that he had a tear in the labrum. And he, he basically opted to have season surgery on his shoulder in August rather than attempt to heal it on its own in return for the playoffs. So he came back in 06, which is the, the World Series year, World Series Championship year. And he was one of the nominees for NL comeback player of the year. He had 292 with 22 home runs and 95 RBIs. You know, and he also did well in the World Series that year against the Tigers. He hit a game tying home run in game one of that series. I remember just,
1: that. It was in, the, if I'm not mistaken, like the seventh inning, and it was like getting kind of stuff was getting kind of tight, and he had that. And it, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, it was like the seventh inning.
2: Yeah, I, I believe so. And also in 06, on September 15th, he set a personal record for RBIs in the game with seven in a 14-4 win against the Giants, and he hit two, two home runs in that game. So, you know, he's doing great. I mean, he's he's got a World Series ring. He's living high on the hog. He seems to be he seemed to bounce back from that uh, injury-ridden uh, 2005 season. You know, he seems to be doing good. But then the next season, 07, he – had some more injuries and he's placed on the DL in August because of re- his recurring left shoulder problems. And then he had another on September 11th. He had another season ending shoulder sh- shoulder surgery for removal of scar tissue and a bursectomy and a manipulation of his left non-throwing shoulder.
1: What is bursectomy?
2: Well, let's look it up because I have Let me no see. idea. A
1: bursectomy.
2: B-U-R-S-E-C. I right, got it. Okay.
1: It's the removal of Bursa, which is a small sac filled with synovial fluid that cushions adjacent bone structures and joint movement. So basically, like, the stuff in his joint, the little bubble of stuff that's in between all of our joints, it had busted.
2: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. It, and uh, bursitis is basically... What it cures,
2: yeah, yeah. I uh, now I, I've heard of bursitis, but
1: yeah, you know, well, they removed the stuff that causes bursitis, I guess,
2: yeah. And so, and this was his last season with the Cardinals, and in 2000 late, 2008 the Cardinals trade Roland to the Blue Jays for Troy Glauss, which that's another name, you know. And he keeps...
1: I got a 12 glasses, rookie card. Probably ain't worth $3. <laughs> nice.
2: And, you know, he's still suffering injuries. You know, like during spring training, he fractured his right middle finger during fielding drills. And his fingerna- and during that, his fingernail was also torn, torn off. And so, you know, he missed the beginning of the 2008 season having surgery to insert a screw in his broken finger. And so Marco Scudero was playing third base for him. That's yep. so, another name, yep. Another name, Marcus Scudero. That's a, that's easy to remember. It's just fun to say. Um, but you know, he gets he's activated from the DL on April 25th, and then two days later, in Ken, against the Kansas City Royals, he hits first home run as a Blue Jay. And so, and then another another stint in the DL in August, this time for his shoulder again. He modified his batting stance by lowering his shoulders and arms by six inches. So if
1: you inches. look at a if you look at a picture of him after he modified his stance, he looks like Pujols.
2: Yo, know, he really does. Yeah, a little bit. Now you mention it, it's like yeah. <laughs> but so, but you know, because of his injuries, he had to modify his batting stance. You know, which again, you know, it's some players have a tough. Some players can do it good, like rolling, but some people can just, you know, you try to modify it or try to change it, and it just doesn't work out. Yeah,
1: it's going to ruin your game. But if you look at the picture of him after he modifies his boss stance, his hands are up. He's got a wider base. So he kind of has that Pujols thing, that big wide base, hands up. Man, it just really didn't – you know, man, you played ball with the same swing for so long, it's – yeah.
2: I mean, it's all good. I mean, you know, it, it made it work. Um, You know, he it enabled him to reestablish his offensive power for the season's final month and hitting a couple home runs at the comfort of less strain on his shoulder, which he had three prior surgeries
1: to correct. Right, he, but he wasn't the same guy, you know. No, but it, he hit a decent
2: 262 with 11 home runs and 50 RBIs in 115 games. And, you know... He's with the Blue Jays for half the season. And then in the middle of the 2009 season, I think at the trade deadline, July 31st, he gets traded to the Cincinnati Reds along with cash considerations for Edwin Encarnacion, Josh Rinke, and Zach Stewart.
1: One of of those names is nice. The other two, I'm kind of questioning.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, he's still doing good. I mean, just – Altogether with both the Jays and the Reds, he hit 305 with uh, 11 home runs and 67 RBIs. You know, so just in 128 games between the both teams. So, you know, he's still producing at age, his age 34 season. And then 2010, you know, he kind of he has a rebound year with the Reds. He played, this is his last season playing in 100 games, played 133 games uh two eighty five average with twenty home runs eight RBIs. He made he's an all star he wins his last gold glove of his career. So a nice little you know comeback year from all those injuries. And um, that was the year I think the Reds won the central division or was in the Yeah,
1: um was the first division championship in fifteen years. And then he also got a gold glove which is his eighth, which you said. Yep. Um which he had a gold glove with three teams by getting that gold glove. That's kind of it's pretty that's pretty little sporty achievement.
2: That is impressive for sure.
1: And yeah. um Yeah, it really is. I, I'm not sure how many guys have gold gloves three teams.
2: Not many. I mean, I'm sure there's a list somewhere out there, but you know uh, you I'd guys-
1: love I'd love to work for Elliot Sports Bureau and be the guy that finds these career statistics. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean
2: and also, you know, in June twenty eighth of 2010 he hit his three hundredth career home run off Kyle Kendrick of the Phillies. So now he's you know he's shown throughout his career that he has power. I mean, he's not going to be, you know, I think more his defensive skills probably out are going to be more remembered than his power. But still, three hundred home runs—it's nothing to sneeze at. You know, you've you've done pretty good consistently hit home runs.
1: You know. It's kind of weird. You, a guy who's a student of the Hall of Fame, is it not kind of weird for this guy that is known to just be a lockdown third baseman? I'm not going to say he's a subpar hitter, but he's not putting up the batting average numbers that kind of people want for you to get in the Hall of Fame. Is it kind of weird for you as a Hall of Fame guy to see a guy like this get in the Hall of Fame? I
2: would say yes. And also for the fact that, you know, he never you know, you look at his stats on baseball reference, batting stance, batting stats. He never led the league in anything. You know, he didn't lead the league in anything. He was he was
1: he was consistently above average though.
2: Yeah. He put up some numbers and Batting wise, and he was a contributor to all of his teams, but like nothing really just other than his eight gold gloves, nothing really stands out.
1: Oh, what was he? Seven time all star, something like that. Six times, yeah. seven time,
2: yeah. seven time all star. You know, rookie I'm of sure, the I'm year. sure,
1: I'm sure that I'm sure that helps his case.
2: Yeah, rookie of the year, seven time all star, World Series ring. And one silver slugger, so you know. I mean, all this
1: help he has, hardware. But do you think it's weird for a guy of his acumen to be a Hall of Fame
2: guy? I, you know, I would say so, and I think a lot of pundits like uh, Dan Patrick and Chris
1: Dog Russo. I don't like either one of them, but I they're both successful. They're both successful for a reason.
2: Yeah, and they were debating about that, I think, the week of his his, Scott's uh, induction. They were both like, this guy, Scott Rowland's not a star.
1: Yeah, but but as a guy like me, who is a fundamental baseball fan, I grew up body up the baseball, make the play. Mm -hmm. Guys like Scott Rowland, that's what he did at third base.
2: Yeah, he made you know, play.
1: Like, You don't have to be an offensive superstar; you can be a defensive superstar. So, do you think this sets a precedent for that like, going forward?
2: I would, I would say so. I think it, may, it seems like that the Hall of Fame voters are going to look more if you, you know, like if in Roland's case, if you don't lead the league in anything offensively, look at your defense. You know. Well, Maybe and you not- know,
1: you know as good as I do, the baseball is if you can put if you're putting runs on the board, we'll overlook your defensive ability. But he was the guy that was the opposite. I'm I'm gonna score you runs. Not as much as the other guys do, but also I'm not gonna give up any runs because I'm a lockdown guy.
2: Yeah, I mean he gets the job done, and I think that I think that helped him in, and also probably the fact that there he doesn't really have any scandals attached to his name, like he's not. Well, that, he's that's a big part words.
1: of the guys that come out of that era. Like, yeah, like guys yeah. like Griffey and. Like, I'd love to talk about Mark McGuire being a Hall of Famer and Sammy Sosa being a Hall of Famer, but they never will be. No. Roger Clemens, never going to be because
2: Barry, Barry Bonds, never going to be.
1: Barry Bonds, never going to be. You yeah. know, just because there's too much attached to
2: that. Yeah. It's just, and you know, I mean, and I think Shit, now, Pete
1: Rose, even, man. Like, right. Or she was and that's on that's, that's a different angle, but.
2: Yeah, every every writer has their own agenda,
1: whether they announce it to the world or not.
2: You know, and that's the thing. It's like they, you know, I think everybody
1: they, that works in any sorts of media has an agenda,
2: right? I mean, it's just it's the unfortunate truth of the world. Whether
1: you're a liberal or a Republican or a sports writer, everybody has their own agenda.
2: Everybody. I mean, you know, and so they probably picked Scott. Because of, A, more of his defensive skill, B, he's, because he's just a consistent hitter, you know, and C, because he doesn't really have any scandals attached to his name. It,
1: he's you a der, he's a deserving guy, in my opinion. And then, Jim Ed, so. and then Jim Edmonds, hopefully he'll come up in the next few years, because that man made some yeah. hell of some plays in center field. Absolutely. I mean, like you that over the shoulder basket catch diving. We used to call that Edmunds, you know,
2: Edmunds. Yeah. And just top 10 sports here, top 10 plays. Ba-da-da, ba-da-da. And so, you know, he's with the Braves, a brave, sorry. He's with the Reds. <laughs> and then the next season in 2011, he gets his 2000 career hit. And um, he, he becomes the fourth, third baseman ever to have 2000 hits 500 doubles, 300 home runs, and 1,200 RBIs. He's up there with Mike Schmidt, George Brett, and Chipper Jones,
1: all three. And that's the all, list we mentioned earlier.
2: Yeah, all four Hall of Famers,
1: you know. And,
2: you know, he – this is ironic. He ended his career with the with the Reds in, in major league career in 2012 in the NLDS, where a ground ball error in game three scored the go-ahead run for the Giants when the Reds were one win away from the NLCS. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> the bane of his existence during, you know, the Spartanburg Phillies in 94, he makes an error. I mean, just dang. And here's the, best, here's the thing, though. He didn't attend spring training, but he didn't announce his retirement. He was just like, I'm done. You know, I'm not going to spring training. Just don't don't even give me a contract. I'm done for the year. I'm done for my career, you know. But, um, you know, Scott Rowland – you know, he's he currently works for the Indiana University's baseball team. Mm-hmm. And he also, you know, he's given money to the university for the baseball team and his facility, Bart Kaufman Field. I really respect made, that. Yeah, and he made the contribution in honor of his parents, Ed and Linda Rowland, who are longtime educators and Indiana University fans. And so, you know. He didn't he, play there, did he? No, he didn't play in college. No.
1: He just but he's from he went straight U- from high school, right?
2: Yeah, straight from high school to the to well minors, you know. But minors. the
1: fact he's going to do that and he's going to participate in that program and I really think that um collegiate programs especially junior college programs are the right funnel to the major league ball and the fact that he's willing to spend money to a college program.
2: Yeah. I mean, and also, you know, Indiana's baseball team has done well, at least last decade. I think twenty twelve they made the world, the College World Series. You know, they've they've been successful in spurts.
1: I think it was the World Series. Yeah, that was when um, what's his name? Uh, was, was in yeah,
2: there. Yeah, was on the team. Yeah.
1: That, my favorite baseball uniforms ever are the uh, University of Indiana Field of Dreams uniforms, and that was when Schaubert was there. They had the long three quarter yeah. sleeve. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, those were great. And also, so, Kyle Schrober, one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life.
2: I can imagine. But, of course, you know, last year when he got thrown out by uh, Angel Hernandez by that terrible call and he just really screamed at him, that was, yeah, that was that was something else, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so this, this past mm-hmm. month, Roland got elected to the Hall of Fame by the Baseball Raiders Association in his six-year of eligibility, now in his first year, he only received ten point two percent of the vote. This was
1: oh shit! I say this,
2: this was the lowest ever for a candidate eventually voted in by the Hall of Fame by the BBWAA. So he goes from ten percent in twenty eighteen, which was his first year on the ballot, to seventy six percent this year. So good for him, you know. I mean, he he worked his way up, and you know the the um the the voting pool you know feed you know waited out and you know he got in and you know I think he deserves it. I think him and Richard deserves it. You know, I'm not gonna try to argue why why shouldn't somebody be in the Hall of Fame when they get elected. It's like dude you played and you you know you, you earned it, you know <laughs> so
1: anyway. I really have an issue with how the voting for the Hall of Fame is I think everybody does, honestly. And I'm not sure how to make it better than this because you can't make it a fan vote,
2: no. Because then it'd become
1: a popularity contest,
2: and you know, and you know, if it's a popularity contest, Bonds, Clemens, Shilling, Pete Rose, they're all getting
1: in. Well, Pete Rose should be in, Um, yeah. But you know, like, I don't know, man. There should be a way, like, where me and you could prove ourselves when we get a vote.
2: Yeah. I mean, I like that. You know, like, and I don't think we would abuse it. I mean, we just, you know, we'd vote for who we think should be in the Hall of Fame. Just give us a list of players and we'll vote, you know, and we'll vote, you know. And I wouldn't be biased for it. I'd be, I don't care.
1: But what's his name that worked for ESPN? He sold his vote to whatever, man. Like, that's trash. That's what, that's shit almost 10 years ago now. But
2: if you get a vote, don't sell that.
1: You know what I'm talking about though. Um, what was his name? Oh, who is it? His dad. His, him and his dad had that show on ESPN. Um,
2: oh, Jimmy Shap? No. No. Oh, 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 uh, Leave Dan Lebatard.
1: Lebatard. Yeah. Yeah. He, because his, yeah, him and his dad were on, were on that show. Yeah, but like, he sold his vote to damn Reddit users. Man, like you can't do stuff like that. Like people well, like us would be better off with of that vote. People that watch the game every day would be better off with a vote.
2: Yeah. I just, some I, of
1: these sport riders, like, I just don't get how that voting works, man. Like, I don't know. Like, Tom Seaver should have been unanimous, but he was one vote short because nobody deserves to be unanimous. Right. Hey, Griff, Mar- Griffey was the first one to GMS, correct? No, no, no. Mario Rivera was. Rivera was. But Griffey was one short because. One guy said, "If Tom Seaver is not unanimous, and y'all can email us at baseballhs101 if I'm not cro- if I'm incorrect on this, but if Tom Seaver doesn't deserve to be unanimous, neither does Griffey." Yeah, and it's like that one guy holding out that vote. Nobody deserves to be unanimous. Either you think the guy's a Hall of Famer or not.
2: Yeah. Just. Don't make excuses. Don't don't come up with reasons why you didn't vote for somebody. Just vote, and just don't be. Who jerking. cares
1: what everybody else but vote? Vote your opinion.
2: Right. You know. I don't. It's just whatever. You know. I, the BBWAA. I mean, like I said, I've already I already have a crawl to pick with them about the Kyle Wright debacle. So you know, it's just you know, whatever. You know. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I'd give I, a, I, I'd, I'd give a kidney to have a vote for that. That's a <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't need yeah. one. I'll give the other one away.
2: Yeah, give uh, I'm sure I'm it. sure
1: you the same way That's a guy that works at the Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, well, give me the vote, but they're not going to do it unless we're actually sports writers. You know, they don't care about podcast people. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I
1: mean, it's we'll all figure it. We'll figure it out. We'll try and blow this up. We'll get there. <laughs> I, think,
2: I think this year's induction ceremony, since it's only two guys, it's probably going to be fairly – it's probably going to be shorter than last year's induction ceremony when we had seven guys get in. So that should be interesting. Right. I, I do plan to go, but it depends on, Uh, you know, if I get a job. Like, I mean, I'm back to looking for and applying for museum jobs. I mean, that really depends if I – if I don't get a museum job between now and July, but you know, because right now with, with Halsey, I have like two weeks of paid vacation. So, you know, I plan to use it. <laughs> you, you, you either, you, you either use it or lose it. So I plan to use it. You know, I'm that's not where
1: going. I'm at, man.
2: Yeah. I'm not losing that. No, no.
1: The hell let's wrap this up. All right. Well, those were
2: two great, uh, Two great players. Yeah, and,
1: we went way longer than I thought we were going to. But things happen. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, we appreciate all of y'all's insight on baseball at HIS101 at gmail.com. We do have an episode coming up for somebody to email us about the Seattle Mariners. Mm-hmm. I'd like to bring up Randy Johnson when we talk about that. Craig Griffey Jr. while we talk about that. Demo's uh, uh, expansion when we talk about that and the whole deal. Edgar Martinez too. Edgar Martinez, hell yeah! John Olerud with his little helmet at first base. We can get mm-hmm. it all up in that. Um, yeah. and as always, Matthew, it's been a, been a pleasure. I hate, I hate that we're doing this over Zoom for people, and we're not sitting in the same room anymore. And I'm gonna try and figure out how to get the video component down.
2: It takes time. it's a
1: lot. It's a lot harder than it looks, guys. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we pronounced everybody's names right this time. We did get an email about that. And we're trying.
2: Yeah, to be fair, with the players that we were talking about, these were guys that played, their careers were playing before we were even born. So we didn't grow up watching them on TV and hearing the announcers announce their names. But, yes, thank you to the person who emailed the corrections for the pronunciations.
1: But hell, until next time, man, I'm Patrick DeVault. And I'm Matthew Carter and we'll see y'all next time email baseball hs 101 at gmail.com and like rate and subscribe on whatever streaming services do we love you guys thanks guys
0: the whiz kids had won it bobby thompson had done it and yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning. Hank Aaron was beginning. One Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The Man and Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Duke. They know them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Now, my old friend, the bachelor, well, he swore he was the Oklahoma kid. And Cookie played hooky to go and see the Duke. And me, I always loved Willie, man, those were the days. Well now it's the 80s, and Bret is the greatest, and Bobby Bonds can play for everyone. Rose is at the vet, Rusty again is a Met, and the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking baseball, like Reggie, Queez, and Berry, talking baseball. Carew and Gaylord Perry, the Darby Schmidt, and by the Blue and it's no fluke They'll be with Willie Mickey and the Duke Willie Mickey and the Duke Say hey, say hey, say hey It was Willie Mickey and the Duke Say hey, say hey, say hey I'm talking with.